Welcome to this episode of My Journey as a Physicist. On this episode, we are joined by Professor Claudia Ratti, an associate professor in the Department of Physics at the University of Houston. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Dr. Claudia Ratti. Could you briefly introduce yourself? What is your role and position and type of work that you conduct? Yes. Hi, my name is Claudia Ratti. I am an associate professor of physics at the University of Houston, and I am a theoretical nuclear and high energy physicist. For my research, I study a phase of strongly interacting matter, which is called the quark gluon plasma, which permeated the universe just a few microseconds after the Big Bang. Okay, very interesting. Can you go into a little more detail on like what your research is? Uh, it sounds very interesting. Yes. So this phase uh, called uh, the quark gluon plasma is a phase of matter that only can be reached uh, by heating matter to temperatures about 100,000 times the one in the core of the sun or by compressing it to density, which would be uh, reached by squeezing the whole earth into the size of a basketball. So these conditions can be reached in high energy heavy ion collisions uh, on Earth, uh, such as the ones that are currently running in the big accelerators like the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva at CERN and the Relativistic Heavy Ion Collider in Brookhaven National Laboratory. And this quark gluon plasma phase turns out to be the hottest, smallest, and most ideal liquid ever observed. And uh, I studied by, by solving the theory of strong interactions, which is one of the four fundamental forces of nature, through numerical simulations. And sometimes I also combine these simulations techniques with more phenomenological approaches so that I can build a bridge between theory and experiment and interpret the results uh, or the data that come from the colliders. Can you explain, like, with phenomenological approach actually is? Because I'm kind of interested in like that bridging the gap between the theoretical and like yes. experimental. Yes, sure. So basically the, the, the theory that describes the strong interaction, which is one of the four fundamental forces of nature, is called quantum chromodynamics. And this theory can only be solved either perturbatively when the coupling is small, but in the regime where the experiments run, the coupling is not small. It's a strongly coupled theory. And therefore, the only technique that we have to solve the theory is by numerical simulations. And sometimes uh, there are instances where these simulations uh, cannot uh, are not uh, applicable. And so in those cases, you need to find alternative approaches which are not so fundamental as solving the theory. So that's why we call them phenomenological, but they capture some aspects of the theory and then they allow you to, to investigate those situations where you cannot apply or solve the theory directly. Oh, okay, that's that's really interesting. So do you consider yourself to still be a, a theorist or kind of like a mixture of like theorists and experimentalists? No, I'm a hundred percent theorist in the sense that I don't analyze the experimental data or I don't play around with, you know, electronics or detectors. So all I do is to try to, to build a bridge between the the fundamental theory and, and the experiment by means also of, of other still theoretical but less fundamental approaches. Okay. So what does your research team sort of look like? Is it you? Is it a large group of people, a small group of people? Yes. Yeah, so we have uh, uh, currently I have uh, four graduate students 
and uh, I have I am working with three undergrads as well in my group, and then I collaborate with a former student of mine who is now a lecturer still at in my department, so he's still working with me on some research when he has some time. And uh, we are about to hire also a couple of postdocs uh, in the in the near future. So the, the group is very diverse, which I like a lot. So we have uh, one woman, we have uh, two Hispanic students, we have a black student in the graduate uh, program. And then in the, the undergrads, two out of the three undergrads are also Hispanic. So we have uh, quite a diverse uh, group of people, which is uh, great because then we we can really, you know, build a welcoming environment and uh, benefit from everybody's uh, diverse background. Yeah, that, yeah, that's really great. What do collaborations in your, your group sort of look like? Do you collaborate with other researchers at your university or is it more national? Like you mentioned some of the stuff with like the large hydron collider where, you know, that's like an international collaboration. What do these kind of different interactions look like? Yes. So we, we definitely collaborate uh, nationally with, with other departments where we have, uh, for example, former students or postdocs or mine who became faculty members somewhere else. And so we, we still work together very often on several projects and then also internationally. So before moving to the U.S., I had... Uh, I was working in Italy, and before that, I was a postdoc in Germany. And so all of those collaborations that I had before are still still active, and definitely I involve my, my group in, in them as well. So some of my students uh, sometimes have to travel and, and, and visit some of the collaborators so also abroad to be able to work with them directly. That's really interesting. So what does your kind of like day-to-day or like week-to-week as a physicist look like? Is it primarily research? Are you also teaching? Are there other responsibilities that you have? Yes. So we have, uh, I have several aspects of my, uh, to my everyday, you know, life as a, as a physicist. Certainly the research is a big component of it. And then I have some, some teaching. So I, I teach uh, on average one course per semester that is actually something that I consider very important because uh, it's uh, one of the ways in which I, I can impact society directly by, you know, uh, passing on my knowledge to the next generation of, of physicists and, and students. So I really like teaching and I, I try to make it as exciting as possible also for the students to, to you know, get excited about, uh, about, our, about the physics in general. And then uh, on top of that, of course, we have administrative duties. So I am at the moment associate chair of my department. So I have also to deal with a lot of um, administration and bureaucracy and stuff like that. And then, of course, there is all other aspects which have to do with reviewing scientific publications, organizing conferences and meetings, writing grants, reviewing grants. So we have uh, a lot of things going on that uh, keep us very busy. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. Okay, going back in time a little bit, like when did you decide that you wanted, when did you know that you wanted to be a physicist? Was there like a defining moment where you always interested in physics? Well, I always liked science. So since when I was a child, so I remember repeatedly asking my parents for toys that would satisfy my curiosity, for example, a microscope or the little chemist. But sometimes I didn't receive them because they thought that maybe it was too dangerous or not suitable for a girl. 
So in any case, I didn't give up on my passion. And as I grew up, it was obvious to me that I will want to have a, a job in STEM somehow. And then when it was really time to decide what I wanted to study at the university, I had narrowed it down to chemistry or physics. But in the end, I chose physics because to me, it was the most fundamental science and the one that would allow me to understand things in depth. And then within physics, when I was studying at the university, I liked pretty much everything. But then I decided to do nuclear theory because there is still a lot to be understood in that field and because uh, it allows uh, a link uh, uh, between theory, experiment, and you can test what you are actually calculating directly on by comparing to data. So that always fascinated me. When did you decide to go down the path of theory? Like, were you doing research like as an undergrad? Was this when you got into grad school that you kind of like found this path that you want to go down? Yes. So as an undergrad, I uh, in Italy, it is quite common uh, to you basically are obliged to do research because then you have to write a thesis on, on what you researched in order to graduate. So because of that, I, I had to pick a topic and uh, I was very fascinated by the courses that I had taken in the last year of my undergrads, like uh, quantum electrodynamics or field theory. And so I, I felt that those were the ones that were the most exciting for me, the ones that really went at the very elementary level of understanding really the things in the, at, at the most fundamental level. And so because of that, I, I went into theory and uh, into nuclear theory. And then you said you did your postdoc in Germany, is that right? Yes, yes, yes. So I got my PhD still in Italy, in Torino, also where I did my undergrads, undergraduate years. And then afterwards, I I went for a few postdocs in Germany and also in the United States. But And then I, afterwards, uh, before moving to the US for my current job, I got a position at Torino University, which um, was kind of a young investigator, uh, group leader. And then afterwards, I moved to America to to become a faculty member at the University of Houston. So something that I'm always kind of curious with academia, like you said, you you did your degrees in Italy, and then you did postdoc, and you did this other you know faculty position, and then you moved to the U.S. And so, like every few years, you're moving to someplace new or like two very different places. So, like kind of like what is that experience you? Know, moving every few years, you know, kind of drastically changing location. Yes, yes it is um, something that you get used to. So at the beginning, I was very uh, sad every time I had to switch because, you know, you make friends and you uh, you get used to a place that you like, where you like to live. And then you, after some time, you have to start uh, somewhere else completely new and uh, you know it's it's exciting also because then you you get to know a lot of different places and you adapt to, to the culture of the place where you live and you have to find a new new apartment and new furniture and you make new friends and I tried uh, to to keep contact with the people that I knew from the previous places but it's difficult because everybody who is doing our job is is in the same situation. So everybody has to move around and find a new a new place to live. It's certainly exciting, but also challenging for sure. So I really am happy now that I have stability and I don't have to move anymore. 
Yeah. Are there like any obstacles or challenges that you had to overcome either early on or currently or at any point during your path as a as a physicist that you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, well, I, I consider myself lucky not because at the end I got uh, the job of my dreams. So I, uh, I am very happy uh, of where I am now. Certainly being a woman in physics was not always easy. And especially at the beginning of my career during my PhD or postdocs, there were some instances when you know, some co-worker would make some misogynistic jokes or uh, things like that. But I never really cared much and I just thought that I will prove them wrong uh, with with my achievements. Uh, for example, the most extreme example that I can quote is that once I, give a collo- I gave a colloquium and, and several years ago by now, and afterwards I was approached by one of the professors that told me, I only came to your talk to check how it is possible that a woman works on something so complicated. So to give you an example <laughs> of the... <laughs> of some of this is really the most extreme but you know i developed a thick skin and was not particularly affected by by this kind of situations Uh, however i really appreciate the fact for example that between the time when i started my phd and now i really can see an improvement in this kind of issues and now you know the initiatives to educate people about gender issues and Uh, having a code of conduct at conferences that people have to follow uh, certainly are making things so much better now. And there is still a lot to do, but I can really see that we are on the right track and things like that will not have to happen anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. So what was it about the theoretical work that you were drawn to, say, over like experimental work? Or did you have much experience with, with either? Well, I at some point it became clear, clear to me that I am really a, a theory. So early on in the in the first years of undergrads, I, you know, I was attending uh, all of, taking all of these courses, and some of them were more theoretical, and some of them more experimental. And we had to go to labs and so on. And what really upset me in the experimental work was the big uh, uncertainty of 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 the things that you had to do and to keep under control before you can say, okay, my experiment is successful. And so as undergrads, we would make a lot of mistakes and not calibrate the instrument properly or not take enough data or do something wrong. And in the end, the data came out really bad and then we didn't know how to fix it. And so I thought this is really not for me. I really like something where I can really have, if I do things um, Properly, I can have an, a, a nice answer, which is clean, and it is the the result that uh, that I can be, you know, showing, and and that's it. So I I really decided, and also like whenever I did some geometry or mathematical courses, those were always the ones that I liked the most, even at the elementary undergraduate level, and then going into more advanced stuff. I really liked quantum mechanics. I loved quantum field theory. And so it was clear that every time I would go into one of those courses, I was so happy. And then I had to sit in the lab and I was not so happy. So it was really (laughs) a love for theory that made me a theorist. What is it about your work now that you enjoy the most? Is it doing the actual research, mentoring? Is it some other aspects, some combination? Yeah, 
I would say a combination of research and mentoring. I really enjoy working with my group. So when I sit with my students, we have a big group meeting and they all work together and then they present uh, what they did during the week. And I, I send them to conferences. I give them career advice and I prepare them for talks and for everything that they need. So it's really, I, I like to, to, to really prepare the next generation to be ready, you know, for the next step in their career. And of course, uh, the, the results that they produce and the research that we are able to get out of the, our group is really makes me still very, very passionate. Do you see yourself continuing focusing on your like specific sub area of physics that you're doing or you are there like other areas that you'd be interested in trying to like branch off or at least can you looking at or experimenting with? Yeah. So recently I started some collaborations with nuclear astrophysicists because uh, it became very uh, interesting to to create a link between strongly interacting matter and uh, the possibility of having uh, this type of of phases of matter inside the core of compact stellar objects like neutron stars. And now with the new uh, gravitational wave detector, uh, which comes from, you know, uh, neutron star mergers, we can really test uh, what's, what happens in this kind of uh, events and what's in the core of, of neutron stars by looking at what the signals tell us and, and relate them to to, to the simulations or to the models that we have for, for those phases of very dense matter. So that's certainly something that uh, I'm going into. So we we are establishing some collaborations with uh, nuclear astrophysics. And then something else which I find very fascinating is the possibility to simulate on quantum computers. And so at the moment, I'm still learning a, a lot of, you know, very, very technical details on quantum uh, simulations and then I hope at some point to be able to apply it to to some exciting research but at the moment it's still still very early yeah that's 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 really interesting so we talked a lot about your your path you know as a as a physicist well but I'm kind of curious like do you have any like interests or hobbies like outside of of your work like what are some things that you're interested in maybe outside of the field of physics yes yeah, so I I always had hobbies my whole life because I always felt that our physicist brain is very much under stress and and it's being used a lot and so when I am off uh, during my uh, free time I really need some activities to to take my mind off of, of physics and so when I was younger, I, I used to play the cello really for several hours a week. But recently, I don't have uh, so much time for that anymore. So right now, I like to work out or to swim almost every day. I read books to relax. I like to bake and to, to knit sweaters for my family and friends. And I've, of course, I love to travel, but right now it, it has become a little bit more difficult. But I really look forward to the next uh, travels that I can have uh, when the situation improves. When you when you read for for fun, are you what are you reading? Are you reading like novels? Are you reading other sciencey books? Like, where are you interested? I, in? I read novels. I really like uh, to read uh, something which is not science oriented. I also mm -hmm. am an atypical physicist in the sense that I don't like science fiction at all. 
So all of my <laughs> physicist friends are big fans yeah. of like uh, Star Wars or something. I I really mm. cannot relate to that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't read anything which has to do with science fiction or or you know dystopian novels or so. <laughs> You mentioned a little bit like, oh, we can't really travel much because, you know, pandemic or, or, or whatnot. Like, how much has that impacted your work at all? Like, was your research, like, halted or in, impacted drastically? Well, from the point of view of uh, productivity, it actually uh, was one of my most productive years because I had a lot of time suddenly to to focus on you know scientific publications i wrote uh, recently also a book i i had a few grants which were successful so i i definitely from the point of view of productivity the pandemic was was not too bad on the other hand definitely in person conferences were a big something that i really missed during this year and and, and almost year and a half that we were uh, locked uh, without the possibility to travel. And, uh, you know, suddenly a lot of uh, online meetings developed and uh, you could really attend many more conferences if you wanted to compare to the ones where you would be able to travel. And, uh, you know, but on the other hand, uh, once you attend a few talks, then you cannot really, you know, have a coffee break with the with the speaker and go into detail of, of what he presented or... Uh, once the the session is over, everybody goes back to their home, and that's really weird. So we certainly miss the the possibility of human interaction during conferences, and that's something that cannot be replaced. And we we really need to go back to in person meetings to experience that again as soon as possible. Have you been? Are you able to go back to like your lab space now? If things can't open up a little yes. bit. Yes. So right now, um, everybody uh, in my group is vaccinated. So we are having in-person group meetings since uh, a few months, already since maybe beginning of May. And I am right now in the office, so I come to the office every day. So right now we are running a, a summer training program for uh, minorities in nuclear physics, where we teach every day. Uh, three hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon and everything is in person also so we have uh, eight students in the program we do lectures in person and so we we all so happy to be able to Mm -hmm. see each other in person and uh, to interact it's really nice okay yeah that that's good that's glad to i'm glad to hear that so kind of wrapping things up a little bit um, do you have any advice or tips of wisdoms that you would give, say, like undergraduates or, or students who may be interested in considering physics as a, as a career path or something they may want to go into? Yeah. So the advice that I would like to give to students and young researchers uh, is to understand what it is that makes them passionate. So for talking for myself, when I started to study physics, uh, like we have already discussed, and even more to do research, I loved it so much that I understood I would do anything to become a physicist, researcher and faculty in the future. And so because of that, I once you understand what it is that you want to do, you should really put all of your energies into uh, making it happen. 
And so maybe sometimes, uh, you know, you can get discouraged or you get obstacles on the way that you have to overcome. But if you are really passionate about what to do, in the end, uh, you can you can find a way to succeed. And so liking what to do, finding out what makes you uh, excited uh, and think about, you know, that's your job for life. So if you if you find the topic or the that 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 you really like it's it's important that's that's really good to hear yeah that's really good advice thank you thank you for sharing and thank you for for coming on and and doing this and and talking with me this was it was a pleasure getting to know you thanks a lot it was nice to meet you